Today I'd like to take your Bible and turn with me, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 9 for our scripture passage for our message this, this morning. Matthew chapter 9. I want to challenge you for these days that you're going away from the college and going back home or going as, uh, somewhere else as well, perhaps. Uh, I want you to, to keep your focus in the right place. We're going to be looking this morning at uh, what I call the, the Savior on souls. The Savior on souls. I'm sure that in your local church at home, you, ha- you have a pastor who loves souls and is encouraging you to reach out to those who are lost around you. And then you have missionaries who come through and, through and they also encourage you in that way. Maybe an evangelist that comes through once or twice a year to preach evangelistic meetings and they challenge you. But I want us today to look at what the Lord Jesus Christ himself had to say about the souls of men and women and young people who are lost. So if you would, would you stand with me, please, in honor to God's word as I read our scripture text in Matthew 9, beginning at 35th verse of the chapter. It says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for your precious word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're present with us. And we ask that today you might undertake for the proclamation and the application of your word to every heart here. And in the invitation, bring about those decisions that would be pleasing in your sight. We pray, Lord, that you challenge us to keep our eyes and our focus on that which we need to be focused on for souls. Even in the times when we're taking a break from college, we just ask, Lord, that you would use us for your glory to bring others to the master. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake and for his glory only. Amen. You may be seated this morning. As we look at this passage of Scripture, I want you to notice there are four things about it, uh, about what the Lord Jesus Christ had to say about the lost souls of men and women and boys and girls. Let's look at the subject of the Savior on souls. The first thing that Jesus tells us in verse 37 is there's a great potential. There's a great potential. Then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is what? Plenteous. The plenteous. It's not the only place in the scripture where the Lord Jesus says this. In John chapter 4 and verse 35, he said, Say not ye, there are four months, and then cometh the harvest. For I say unto you, lift up your eyes unto the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The Bible says, Jesus said, that there's no problem with the harvest field. There's no problem with there being uh, uh, souls that are, that are even ripe and ready to come to Christ as somebody will get to them with the message of the gospel. Sometimes we think here in the United States it transfers to everywhere else in the world. It may be difficult maybe here to reach some souls with the gospel. But there are other places overseas where where many, many souls are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. I could take you with me to Moldova in the former Soviet Union where our mission has two different uh, uh, camps that used to be communist youth indoctrination camps. Now they're Bible camps where the gospel is preached every summer. The smaller of the camps runs about 160 campers a week, and the larger one on 25 acres of land runs about uh, 380 campers a week. I've been there to preach in those camps when we were starting the ministries there and had the real joy to be able to see souls coming to Christ. I mean, we're talking about folks that we couldn't even start where we would with most young people coming to a Christian camp because they were under the old Russian rule and weren't even allowed to go to church until they were 18 years old. And uh, we'd have to start with square one. Where the, how we know there's a God and work our way up from there. But I can tell you, we would, when we finally gave the first invitation, which was usually, was usually at the earliest on Wednesday night, most times on Thursday night, it was not unusual at all to see over half the camp walk the aisle with tears to come to Christ. 
counselors dealing with 12, 13 campers at one time and having to work through that. So, so many young people to come to Christ that uh, the, the mission had to start a, a Bible institute there to train more. And in fact, uh, we're thankful for the fact that young people who were saved in the, in the camps there are now the counselors in the camp there as well and uh, bringing people to Christ. But many people say, I could take you with me to Malawi, Africa where we have uh, mission works there as well, where uh, we've been there to work with day camp ministries, every day going into a different village and presenting the gospel with puppets and ventriloquism and, and preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've seen hundreds and hundreds of people there come to know Christ. In the last 10 years, we've seen all over 200 churches planted in Malawi and in the borders of Mozambique surrounding Malawi. Souls coming to Christ. I could take you with us to the Fiji Islands, probably the most fruitful area we've been in ministry before, where when we go, we preach every night evangelistic meetings in the missionaries' churches, but then we average uh, every day assemblies, at least two assemblies a day in public schools, sometimes student bodies, over a thousand students to be able to share Christ with, and literally thousands of folks we've seen come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as personal saviors who ministered there. Listen, the harvest truly is plenteous, but you don't even have to leave the shores of the United States of America to find souls that are ripe and ready to come to Christ if somebody will get to them with that message, or if you're alert to those divine appointments that God brings across your path. I was headed for one of our mission trips once, and I was getting on a plane in Baltimore, Maryland to fly to Boston. It was a small commuter plane, and I think I saw the pilot winding the rubber band up on the propeller when I got on. But there was, it was a small aisle, and there were two seats on one side of the aisle and one seat on the other side of the aisle, and I chose the two-seat side and sat in the aisle seat, wondering if I could just put up that middle armrest and get a bit more space to sit in. But as the plane continued to load, about 15 minutes before we took off, a young woman came down the aisle, pointed at the window seat next to me, and so I got up and helped her put her luggage in the overhead compartment, and then she scooted past me and sat down in the window seat again, and we started to talk like you do when you sit next to somebody on a plane like that. And, and she said, well... <clears throat> what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a preacher. She said, really, what do you preach? Well, she asked for it, amen. So I reached up in the overhead compartment, pulled out the pocket Bible, began to share Christ with her. Before we were even in the air, 15 minutes, praise the Lord, that young woman bowed her head and right out loud, loud enough I looked around to see if anybody else was listening, and there were some, as she prayed and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into her heart and to save her. Before we landed in, in Boston, she was asking me, I'm from Rhode Island. If you're an evangelist, do you know any good Bible preaching churches I can go to there where I can learn some more about this? And how can I share this with my boyfriend? I want him to be saved too. He said, that's extraordinary. No, there are people... You're going to run too like, like that, maybe on this break. My pastor was being helpful in helping us hook up our trailer at home, and, and uh, he pulled on the end of the wire to plug it in. And what we didn't know was that when he pulled, he jerked too hard and pulled the ground wire off inside the plug. Now, I realized something was wrong because I was in the rig and the refrigerator started to smoke. So I quickly hollered out the window, and he unplugged the cable again, and we checked things around and traced it down, found out what it was, put the ground wire back on again, and plugged it in. And now we had a big black burn mark in the back of our fridge. So the next week, we were in meetings in southern New Jersey, and uh, there was an appliance repair shop just down the road from the church. So I made a call the, the, on Monday and said, could you send somebody up to look at the fridge? They said, yeah, we'll send somebody tomorrow morning. First thing, so it was Tuesday morning, and the work truck showed up, and the fellow came in, and he started checking all over, diagnosing things, and he, he finally turned to me, and he said, well, Mr. Webb, it appears that your refrigerator is operating as it's supposed to. There is a big burn mark in the back, but it does, it does seem to be working. He said, you don't want me to fix it, do you? I said, no, I've got a rule. If it isn't broken, don't fix it. 
So he started to put his tools away when he looked at me and he said, why are you living in a trailer behind a church like this? I said, well, I'm an evangelist. I have the privilege of traveling all over the world and sharing with people how they can know for sure if they died, they'd be on their way to heaven. He said, you know, a lot of my friends have been getting involved in religion lately. And he said, well, all the religions there are in the world, I've always wondered, how do you know who's right? I picked up my Bible off the table where I've been reading. I said, do you know what this book is? He said, it's a Bible, isn't it? I said, yes. Do you know what the main idea of that book is about? He said, oh, the church I grew up in didn't encourage us to read our Bibles. I said, well, if I could show you in 15 minutes or less what the main idea of that book is all about, would you let me to do that? He said, you can do that in 15 minutes? I said, yes, sir. He said, go right ahead. So I took him to one verse of Scripture, Romans 6, verse 23, had him define the words of the verse to me, and then I put it all together and explained the verse and how it applied to him. And I said, sir, do you understand what that said? He said, yes, I do. I said, do you understand what you need to do? He said, yes. I said, wouldn't you like to bow your head right now and ask the Lord to save you? He looked at me and said, yes, sir. I would, and he bowed his head right there and prayed and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into his heart and to save him. I'll never forget when he was loading his tools in his work truck to leave to go to his next appointment, he said, Mr. Webb, I don't know why you called me out here to look at your fridge today. There's nothing wrong with it. But he said, I know why I was supposed to be here today because God wanted me to be here so I would be saved. Look, folks, there are people like that where you were going to be in the next few days. And when you're taking your mind off of the studies and stuff that you've been doing here, don't take your mind off the focus of what you're studying to do. Because it's not just something you do as a vocation the rest of your life. It's what you do because you're a believer in Christ. It's what you do because God expects you to do it. He he wants to use you to do that. So the Lord Jesus Christ tells us to begin with, look, there's no problem with the harvest. There are souls even out here that are ripe and ready to come to Christ. If you will get to them with the message of the gospel, of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a great potential. Number two, Jesus said there's a great problem. There's a great problem. He said the harvest truly is plenteous, but usually when the Bible says but, it's got good news after it. In this case, it happens to be bad bad news. When it says great, there's no problem with the harvest, but, but what? But there's a problem. What's the problem? The laborers are few. The laborers are few. Many of our Bible colleges, as it is, have fewer people training for ministry than they used to have. The college I grew up in used to have over 1,000 students there. They don't have anywhere near that number now that are training for ministry. But we're looking at a day today when many a Christian young person growing up in the average Bible-believing church isn't even considering ministry at all. That's, That's a sad situation. You ought to be considering that first. God, what is it God wants for you to do with your life? Now, I don't believe God calls everybody to be a pastor or an evangelist or a Christian school teacher or, you know, something like that. But I do believe God calls every Christian to be a missionary because there are souls that only you'll be able to reach. There are people that God is going to bring you across your path that you need to reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, are you going to be available for God to be able to use you to do that kind of work? Because the problem with so many young people today is that their mind is focused on getting the, the, uh, the best education so they can get the best paying job so they have, have uh, the most money to be able to buy all the stuff in the world. And, and there are even young people today growing up in Christian homes that are trying to get the fanciest car and they're thinking about having the nicest house and going the farthest on vacation and having all the things that, that honestly, when you look at the people in this world who already have all those things, they'll tell you they're not happy with them. Why waste your life on things that are going to be gone? Even as young as you are, there's going to come a day if the Lord tarries that you're going to leave that stuff behind to somebody you didn't want to have it is going to spend it in a way you didn't want to spend. That's why an older preacher I heard once said it's better to be given while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. 
But that's true of your life as well. You need to be submitting your life to the work of what God has for you to do. Every one of us has opportunities. Every one of us has divine appointments that God has set before us. And there are so many places of ministry that are open, available. Listen, uh, there's hardly, I told uh, our brother that before chapel started, that, that there's hardly a month that goes by that I don't have a pastor ask me, do you know anybody that, that might be interested in coming and, and, and training to take over the church here? Our own, our own home church in Western Maryland that we went to work with when we got out of Bible college, uh, uh, pastors looking for somebody to come along and come in and, and uh, somebody that can work with the church for a year and then hand off to that, past, that fellow to take over the church. And I'm talking about once a month, I get somebody that asks me about something similar that way. I was visiting my father-in-law in New York State where he was pastoring last, and another pastor friend of his that stopped in from the fellowship he was with uh, was talk, talking to him about the, the churches that were just associated with that fellowship. Get this, out of that fellowship alone, there were 53 churches with no pastors. 53. There's a Christian camp in Nova Scotia, Canada. My wife and I preach in about every three years. We go up there and then plan meetings around there. There's about 12 churches that send their young people to that camp in the ministry there. Uh, One of the times that we were there, out of 12 churches, seven of those had no pastors. I was mentioned Fiji and how, how blessed it is there to be able to win souls to Christ. We were preaching in a, a public high school. That we found out that the principal was a Hindu priest as well. And he got up and gave this inclusivity speech before we started. And, you know, we all, you know, everybody serves the same God. They're just by different names. And you go your way and we go our way or whatever, that kind of thing. We all get to the same place. And I thought, well, it's going to be really interesting when we get up and preach that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. You can't come to the Father but by him. And we didn't change our message at all. And as soon as we finished our presentation, we got asked to the principal's office. And I thought, uh-oh. Could be trouble here, but we found out they wanted to give us some cookies and some juice and thank us for bringing a program with puppets and brass music and that kind of stuff along to, the, to their, their students. They don't ever have anybody even come and do that kind of thing. And when our team had gotten up and left to go finish loading the equipment back in our van, I was uh, signing the guest book there with the principal, just he and I in the office, when he looked at me and he said, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, uh-oh, here comes the trouble. I said, yes, sir. He said, you know what you were talking about for the last 20 minutes out there in your presentation? That's when I was preaching the gospel. I said, yes, sir. He said, I want you to know that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior today. He said, I want to ask you a question. I said, what's that? He said, can you send somebody back here every week to share this with our faculty, our staff, and our students? They need to hear this message, and they need to know Christ as their Savior too. What a blessed thing. What a thing to have somebody ask. The problem was... But I had to say to that man, sir, I'm sure we can get somebody back here sometime, but I don't think we have the staff to send somebody back here every week. We don't have that kind of personnel. Hey, do you know what language is spoken in the Fiji Islands? English. They were under British rule. Some of you characters could be going out there and helping out with that kind of work. Rich in folks with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ there. Look, the the, the problem is that the laborers are few. Where are the young people today that are stepping up and stepping out for the Lord Jesus Christ? I was in a church just south of where I, I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I used to call it Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> the city of Brotherly Shove <laughs> voted about all oh, 20 years ago to be the world's third most unfriendly city. But in any case, I, I was pastoring, uh, preaching for a, a pastor, a younger pastor, who was the son of a man that my father used to preach for in that same church years before. Time warp. Uh, we were doing that kind of ministry. And three times during that week of meetings, three older couples, and it was a church of maybe about 100 folks, mostly older, 
Three, uh, three times during that week, three couples wanted to ask me to come see something. They wanted to show me, and they all neither wanted to talk to each other or whatever. The, each one of those couples took me across the hallway to the, uh, to, the, to the fellowship hall where they had their missions board. You know, your church probably has a missions board like that at home with the photographs of the missionaries or a little thing with lights on it. Push a button here and it lights up where the missionary is there or something. Anyway, that was, uh, that was uh, what they wanted to show me. And the reason they wanted to show me that was because this church of not over more than about 100 people had 30 missionaries that they supported full time. Now, I don't mean just $20 a month. I mean, they, they, they paid that entire missionary's way. 30 missionaries. What was even more impressive was the fact that every one of those 30 missionaries was out of that church. Some of them were born into families there that were founding families of the church. They came up to the youth department. They went off to Bible college. They found somebody to marry, got called to missions, or they didn't find anybody there, came back to their church and found somebody and got called to missions. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so there were, these, there were these missionaries, 30 of them, all out of their church there. And I thought, what a blessing, but there was still a problem. There wasn't a missionary on that missionary board that was under the age of 50. And I, I said kindly to the folks, you know, I'm not scolding anybody here, and I'm glad that your church has done so much in the past, but don't just tell me what you've done in the past. What are you doing now? What about you? Have you considered to go to a mission field? Have you considered to go? You know, sometimes we want to be, stay nice and warm here in the United States and our cushy homes and all the rest of that, find a nice big church that will pay us a nice fat salary or something else that way. Let me tell you something. If that's not where God wants you to be, you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. You need to be willing to go wherever God wants you to go. And I guarantee you, by past experience, I know if you'll go where God wants you to go and do what he wants you to do, he will take care of you. And he will use you. I was with someone else, uh, with our pastor, interviewing for a position in our church years ago. And it was sad to me that the young people that we interviewed in Bible college, all the young men, it seemed like, wanted to know, what's my salary? What benefits do I get? Do I get a gas allowance? Do I have a house allowance? Do I have anything else that way? Well, you know what? When I graduated from Bible college, it was go wherever, you, wherever God calls you to go, God will take care of you. My father was an evangelist 67 years. This is our, my wife and I are starting our 43rd year at full-time evangelistic ministry together, and we, none of us have ever missed paying a bill. God always takes care of that. The, the problem is the labors are few. Are you one that will be a laborer where God wants you to be? Are you considering something nice and easy and cushy when God has you wanting to do, wants you to do something else? For him, let me challenge you to consider that, solving that problem of the labor force being few. So there's a great potential, number one. Number two, there's a great problem. The labors are few. Number three, the Lord Jesus said there's a great prayer. There's a great prayer. Verse 38, pray ye therefore. You've seen the, the, the statement. If you see a therefore in the Bible, look and see what it's there for. And it's there for a reason. Because the harvest is truly plenteous and because the labors are few, pray ye. You pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, I would just ask you to begin with, do you pray for the missionaries your church already supports? Do you even know the names of the missionaries your church supports? Most, most Bible-believing independent Baptist churches support missionaries. But the sad thing is I find an awful lot of the membership, even though they know they have missionaries, don't know the missionaries' names. It used to be if you were even going to pray for a missionary years ago, it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a project because it took months for a letter to come back from the missionary by ship. And then they got airmail, and that was pretty expensive, so you still didn't get a lot of that then. But we have no excuse today. We've got WhatsApp. We've got Skype. We've got all kinds of other computer programs, Internet programs, where we can be communicating with the missionaries on their mission field in real time. 
and able to pray for them, but do we? Do you know the names of the church your missionary supports? Do you know what fields they serve on? Do you know what their ministry involves? Do they, do they plant churches? Do they have a Christian school? Do they have a hospital? Do they have an orphanage? Or are they teaching English as a second language because the field they're on doesn't allow regular missionaries to come? We need to be praying for those missionaries. But the Lord said, not only, not only should we keep in mind those things, but we ought to be praying that there will be more laborers sent into the field. And that's one of the prayers that I find there are an awful lot of Christians who just don't want to pray. Why? The reason is because they feel like if they pray that prayer, Lord, send more laborers into the field that God will call them. But may I submit to you this, this morning as well that if that is God's will for your life and you rebel against the will of God, you can say like Esther could have said, hey, it's my life. It's, I, it's, let somebody else do the job and God will, as Mordecai said, raise up somebody else to do the work because God's going to do his work. But don't expect things to go well for you. How can you expect God to bless your business, your family, your life in any way if you're living in rebellion to his call? You need to go to God today. You say, well, preacher, I have no idea what God wants me to do. I'm here at a Bible college, so I'm here where I got God. You're in a place where God can get a hold of your heart if you'll listen and pay attention to him through the preaching and through the teaching that you have from your professors. If you have a heart that's open to God's leadership, God will lead you. But are you praying that way? Are you at least praying and saying, Lord, I don't know where you have me specifically to go, but you show me, I'll go there. I'll do that. And let God direct your paths. It's, you, you, it wouldn't help you much to go down to the car dealership and buy a car and sit in the parking lot of the car dealership and turn the wheel left and right and, and you'd complain about not going anywhere. But the problem is you didn't start the engine and put your foot on the gas and move. And if you'll start moving, then God can direct. If you'll pay attention to God's work in your life, he will turn the wheel. He will direct you into his will and there'll be no doubt as to what God's word and God's work and God's will is for your personal life. Let, let God use you. At least be willing to go to God in prayer and say, Lord, I don't know, but I will if you'll show me. Jesus said there's a great potential. The harvest is truly plenteous. He said there's a great problem. The laborers are few. Then he said there's a great prayer. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest. He'll send forth more laborers into his harvest. But whenever the Lord gives us instructions, he doesn't just leave it up to us to figure it out. He also shows us what we need to do that work. And in this case, in the verses preceding what Jesus said, Jesus showed us what we need to win souls. So in addition to the fact that there's a great potential and there's a great problem and there's a great prayer, there's also here a great pattern. There's a great pattern that Jesus gives us. The Lord Jesus himself shows us exactly what we need to win souls wherever he calls us to go. What are those things? Well, there are three that I want to call to your attention in the closing moments of our message today. First of all, verse 35 says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel. So the Lord Jesus Christ did not, as some people might think, sit under a tree in a field or on a rock on a hill and wait till the crowds came to him. He did not go and sit on a boat in the, in the water and wait till the crowds came to him. It says he went to their towns. He went to their villages. He went to where they were. Anybody here like to fish? Oh, look, we have some fisher people here. That's the politically correct term, right? You can't say. <laughs> okay, so if you like to fish, what, what would you do if you wanted to go fishing today? You'd go, you'd go you know, back to your house or, and you'd... You'd go to the shed out back maybe and get out an empty five-gallon bucket, bring it into your house and take it to the bathroom and put it under the bathtub spout and fill it full of water. 
carry the bucket of water out and set that in the middle of the living room rug, then go in the dining room or the kitchen, whichever you can afford. <laughs> Get yourself a, a, a chair Bring the chair out and set that down next to the bucket of water in the living room. Then go get your fishing tackle box, your rod, your reel, your line, your lures, your hip waders, your floaty doo bob, whatever it is you use for your fishing. And when you have all that stuff piled out there together and you're ready for your expedition, then you put on your fishing excuse t-shirt, you put on your favorite fishing hat, you put on your hip waders and all of that. And then you sit, you turn the chair so it faces the bucket, you sit down on the chair, you pick up your pole, you bait your hook, you drop the line in the bucket and you begin to pray, oh God. Send a fish into my bucket that I may catch him. Now, what are you laughing at? This is a spiritual way to catch fish. And another thing happens, maybe, maybe you're not trying hard enough and you need to pray harder. Or perhaps you need to invite several other fisher people over to your house and give everybody a pole and everybody a chair. And you can sit shoulder to shoulder like the British at the Battle of Hastings around that bucket. And you can all put your lines in that bucket and you can pray together. Oh, God, send the fish into our buckets. You say, preacher, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You're not going to catch a fish with a line in a bucket of water in your living room praying for God to put a fish in there. If you want a fish, you have to go to the creek, the creek, the pond, the lake, the ocean, the bay, or at least the freezer section of the grocery store where one is. <laughs> well, if you haven't figured it out, you're not going to win souls either sitting in a nice comfy seat like you're in right now or in an easy boy recliner at your house during break time. Praying for God to send lost souls into your church so they get saved. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. There are people who walk into a church service sometimes uninvited to hear the gospel and get saved, but the majority of people in 42 years of our evangelistic ministry that have, that have come to a church service and have been saved did not come because they just happened on the church and decided to come in. They didn't, they didn't come because they saw a poster on a grocery store window or a flyer in their mailbox somebody from the church went and asked them personally, invited them personally to come, kept after them until they finally came, and that's why they were saved. So what is it that Jesus showed us that we all need? We need a boldness to go. He said, well, it's easy for you, Brother Webb. You're an evangelist. No, look, listen to me. If you'd have told me 50 years or so years ago I'd be preaching like this, I would have told you you were outside your head. I grew up under an, an alpha male. My father was the kind of fellow when he walked into a room, everybody knew he was there. Okay, I grew up under that. That's not my personality. Okay, I'm the last. I, you, you, I might be one of the last people to walk up to a total stranger on the street and say, "Hi, I'm Barry Webb. Can I talk to you about Jesus?" Do you do that? Yes, but I have to ask the Lord to do that because that's not my personality. So praise God if He can overcome mine, He can do yours. God will use you if you'll ask him for that boldness. And then look, be alert, okay? God brings across your path divine appointments. It won't be any mistake. Some of you, if you're taking a, a plane, it won't be a mistake who you're sitting next to on your way back for your, your break. Or if you're hanging around town here, the people he brings you into contact with, even, even situations that happen to our lives medically, you know, sometimes are because God has people in the hospital that nobody's going to get to unless they're sick to get there. We have the opportunity to be able to share Christ with folks in that regard. So first thing you need to do is ask God to give you that boldness you need. Then what else does Jesus show us that we need? Well, it says, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. 
what else did Jesus show us we need? We need not only a boldness to go, but we need the Bible to plant in their hearts. It says Jesus didn't give them psychology, philosophy, or ideology. He gave them the gospel. The sad thing is I find that an awful lot of our Christians in fundamental Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches today, not just young people but adults, don't even know enough of the gospel scriptures to lead somebody to Christ. I wonder, do you have the Romans road marked in your Bible? That's a list of several verses that are all within the book of Romans. All you got to do is go to the first verse and after that one, write the chapter and verse of the next one. Don't ever have to go out of the book of Romans and just follow it like road signs till you get to the end and then ask that person if they want to be saved. Some people say, I've got that in my Bible. Great. When's the last time you've used it? And if you've got that, that's great, but that's not going to be enough. You're going to need to know more. Because somebody's going to have a question. And the Bible says that we need to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us the reason of the hope that is within us with meekness and fear. And I'll tell you something else. You don't just need to be able to find those verses. You need to find them in your Bible. And sometimes when you're reading through your daily Bible reading, hopefully you're having daily Bible reading, you know, not just for an assignment. But when you're reading through that and you see another verse that answers somebody's question that you were talking to or whatever else, that way you can mark the verse, okay, so you know where it is so you can find it. Then what? Meditate on it so you understand what it says. Well, you're sure you understand what it teaches. Mark it. Meditate on it. Then what? Memorize it. Memorize it. Why? Because let's face it, many, 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 and even perhaps most of the divine appointments that God brings across your path, you're not even going to have a Bible nearby to read. So you better have it here. And you better have it here. You say, I can't even remember my own phone number, Brother Webb. How am I going to remember all those scriptures? Let me tell you, if God made your mind, made your mouth, and made his word, he can intersect those three things anytime he needs to, to use you to bring people to Christ. I don't know how many people I've walked away from saying, man, Lord, you had to do that because I wouldn't have remembered all that stuff, and I'm trying to memorize the verses. Get those scriptures. Because why why is that so important? Because it doesn't do any good for us to stand face-to-face, toe-to-toe, and nose-to-nose with somebody and say, this is what my parents raised me to believe. Or this is what my pastor taught me to believe. Or this is what my place of worship teaches. Because they can say the same things. There's no authority there. The only authority we have is this book. And you need to know that book. You need to fill up the magazine of the gospel gun so that the Spirit of God's got something to shoot when you come across those opportunities. I like to put it this way. If you provide the person and you will prepare the person, God himself will provide the power and he will produce the fruit. And let me say it again. If you'll provide the person, Lord, here I'm in, you prepare the person, you learn the scriptures, get them into your head, down in your heart so they're ready to come out. God himself will provide the power. You say, I can't do it, Brother Webb. God already knew that. But he can and he will using you. The Bible says, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's not my responsibility. That's his responsibility. But he uses us to do that work. And he will use us. If we provide the person, prepare the person, he will provide the power and he will produce the fruit. And any person you ever lead to Christ, you can't reach around and pat yourself on the back and say, look what I did. Because that was the Lord. You don't know who planted that seed before you got around to that person. You don't know how many other people may have watered that seed before you got around to that person. And isn't an amazing thing that some plant and others water, but God gives the increase. And when, even if you get the chance to lead somebody to Christ, you can't pat yourself on the back more than the person who planted the seed in the first place. And that every person in that whole process gets the soul winner's crown. And God gives it to us like it was our idea when it isn't as his. And it's his power that does the work. We need to ask God to give us the Bible knowledge we need to have so we have the authority to be able to give. Your argument's not going to wake somebody up in the middle of the night and get them on their knees by their bed crying out for salvation, but I've heard of good, well-placed scripture verses somebody put in somebody's heart that did that work. So there's 
First of all, we need a boldness to go. Second, we need the Bible to plant in hearts. And here's the last thing. Jesus, it says about Jesus in verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. The Lord Jesus showed us we not only need the boldness to go and the Bible to plant, but we need a burden to weep for those who are lost. Does it make a difference? God thought so. He put it in his word in Jude 22. And if some have compassion, making a difference. I remember my father had an entire message just on that passage of scripture. And he would have the church people repeat all the way through that message over and over again. Compassion makes a difference. Compassion makes a difference. Compassion makes a difference. Look, there are some people that you've probably argued with before. If you quit arguing and ask God to break your heart, you might reach that soul. Ask God to give you a burden. In 42 years of full-time evangelistic ministry, I found the average person does not mind arguing about religion. Some even enjoy a good debate over religious philosophies, but I have found that the average unsaved person does not know what to do with a believer who, first of all, is so convinced of the truth of the gospel and, secondly, so concerned for their lost condition that they weep when they witness. And there are souls that are ripe and ready to come to Christ if you'll You'll plant the seed or water seed or you water the seed that's been planted with the, with the tears and the compassion. God can use I remember a, a, a tall Catholic gentleman that talked to me one night after revival meeting service in New Jersey. And he was even weeping when he talked about what Jesus did when he died on the cross. But he wasn't saved. He, he, he didn't come to Christ. But that night we were downstairs at our table where uh, we have some things beyond our platform ministry we make available to folks. And, and uh, this, this man's little four-year-old son came from my wife's class across the way and walked between his mother and his father and said to his father, Daddy, do you know why I asked Jesus to save me? And his dad obviously loved his son. He said, no, son, tell me. He said, because Daddy, Daddy, J- Jesus loves me and Jesus loves Mommy. And, and if we died, Mommy and, and I are going to go to heaven, Daddy. And then he started to cry. But he said, Daddy, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Daddy, if you don't get saved, you die. You won't be with me and Mommy in heaven. Next night, I barely started the invitation. That grown man stepped out of his pew and ran to the pastor and said, show me how to get saved. Compassion makes a difference. I know of one young lady who was in a church and needed Christ as Savior in an invitation or revival meeting. Someone went to speak with her, <clears throat> one of the church ladies, and asked if she wouldn't want to get saved, and she said no. And the church ladies started to cry. It was after the service before she quit crying. And so the next night, I happened to be nearby, and when the invitation time came, I felt the Lord tugging at my heart, so I went up and I spoke to that same young lady and asked her if she wouldn't like to be saved. She said, yes. Tears were in her eyes. She said, yes. She stepped out of her seat and came forward. And while she's being led to Christ, I was talking with her mother. I had, I had nothing to do with that young lady's salvation. I was talking to her mother. Her mother said, you know what, Brother Barry? She, he said, she said, uh, Every night when I, I put my kids in bed, and she had a younger brother who was saved and in the youth department, said every, every time I put them in bed, I'll give them a hug and give them a kiss. I walk to the door, and just before I turn out the light and walk out of the room and close the door, I turn and I tell them I love them. She said, I did that with my son. She said, I went and, and did that with my daughter. She said, I had hugged her and, and, and kissed her, and I was walking to the door, and she said, I was about to turn the light switch off when I heard my daughter say, Mom. And when she turned around, she said her daughter was weeping. Her daughter was weeping. And she said, Mom, I didn't know that lady in church would cry if I didn't get saved. 
I believe what brought that young lady to Christ was the preaching of the word, can't have it without that, and the working of the spirit, but was also the tears and compassion of that church life. You may know somebody at home, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's somebody who went to school with you that does not know Christ as their personal savior. Why not, why not, not argue with them, don't nag at somebody like that, but why not ask God to give you the compassion and the tears that are necessary? to break down that barrier and to bring those souls to Christ. I believe if we do what God's word says, what Jesus showed us, we need a boldness to go, the Bible to plant, and a burden to weep. And if we'll do that, we'll have the blessing of seeing souls <clears throat> that'll come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, there's a great potential. The harvest is truly plenteous. Jesus said, there's a great problem. The laborers are few. Jesus said, there's a great prayer to pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest who was sent forth laborers into his harvest and don't be afraid to say, Lord, do you want me? And then Jesus showed us what we need to win souls. We need a boldness to go, the Bible to plant, and a burden to weep, and we'll see blessings of souls that have come to Christ. This is what Jesus had to say about souls. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. <clears throat>